Welcome to Paytech Talk, a podcast about payments. Today's guest is Rick Kukelbergs, founder and managing director at The Banking Scene. Enjoy the show. Welcome to another special edition of Paytech Talk, where we talk about everything payments. Today we have Rick on a podcast. So Rick, can you tell us about yourself? My name is Rick Kukelbergs. I'm the founder of The Banking Scene, and since recently also the host of the fintech comedy quiz show uh, fintech uncut start my career in banking and i have worked most of my career in the industry until i became independent in parallel with the job at in the very beginning was kbc worked in payments got very passionate about that specific industry set up a linkedin group innovation in payments that got me in touch with a lot of international very interesting people i started that group without much ambition but realized that it became quite successful that successful that i created another network organization the banking scene today that linkedin group is 58,000 members worldwide and the banking scene is a banking community with five in-person conferences and almost every week virtual roundtables to talk about anything related to payments and banking. Cool. Thank you for that explanation. So like what interested you about payments in the beginning? To start with, it's everywhere. It touches everything. It's like the blood in a society. If you don't have payments, you don't have anything. You have barter, perhaps. Uh, so in that respect, it is really interesting how it evolves and how it also doesn't evolve from time to time because of consumer habits or because of regulation or other things that influence the way the industry moves forward and it keeps moving and the funny thing about payments is that you can argue it has never evolved that fast as well as you can argue it has never evolved that slow and that's what i like about payments that's a very good explanation now it's also nice the cool thing about payments is you can look at it like they're different in every place. Netherlands is different from Belgium, which is different from Germany, which is different from the UK or like the US where I'm from. They all have different sort of payment habits and payment preferences, whether you're like a you know very cash-based society like Germany and slow to digitize, or you're like the Netherlands where cash is a kind of, in terms of in-store payments, doesn't really happen. What are payments like in Belgium then? I think it is pretty similar to the Netherlands, um, except that in the Netherlands you are further advanced in terms of electronic payments, although that shifted a lot during COVID. So we've seen a steep rise in contactless payments, car payments as a whole as well. Nonetheless, there is still a very fierce fight going on between banks and politicians these days in terms of access to cash. I think that's a much bigger debate in Belgium than it is, for example, in Netherlands. Banks prefer to go faster compared to, for example, consumer organizations that prefer a lot more access to cash by the banks instead of independent organizations like, for example, a Batopin, which is pretty similar to Geldmaat. No, but I think the Dutch Payment Associations did put a, something about the importance of keeping cash, making access to cash available. But yeah, it's, it's still kind of like an afterthought here, I think. It's like, okay, and there's cash. And, you know, for financial inclusion, it's important. For people who aren't digitized, you have to be in the system here, of course. You have to have all your ducks in a row to be able to, to get the bank card, to get the phone so you can pay. You have to be registered and all this sort of stuff. 
so the barriers to entry are quite high. But like once you're in it, it's it's easy to get you know set up the bank account. They, they need to be in it because otherwise you're not part of society. Right. I mean that's yeah that's that's how we're going. Which I guess also like that sort of digital identity part. Although it's I guess it's easier here in the Netherlands than it is in some other part. While we're going to talk about payments, it's my last payments questions before we get to talking about the banking scene event that you'll have very shortly here in Amsterdam. Usually when you read about payments facts in countries, you know, you see that, like, oh, like top payment methods. So you have Bankomat and I guess Payconic. And then, you know, obviously Belgians like to shop cross-border since it's right next to the Netherlands as well. You have France and it's a small country. So you're like, okay, those are like the, the normal payments facts you see about a country. But what's something that people don't know about the Belgian payment scene that's actually something cool to know? What's often forgotten is that we probably have one of the most developed digital identity schemes here in Belgium that we can use to connect to banks, governments, more or less anything. So that's a recent novelty. Um, what I always like to refer to when people talk about the wallets and we need to, for example, the central bank digital currency need to be used offline, etc. Those are things that we had already in the 90s. Really? But it got killed uh, many years later because it wasn't that successful. But we had offline payments. We had money stored on our plastic debit cards to make payments at, for example, uh, Coca-Cola machines, etc. For the small amounts. And that money was stored offline. Ah, that's really cool. I think, is that similar to the, the thing the Netherlands had in the early 2000s, the chip? Yeah, I was just looking at it, and you are right. In the Netherlands, it is called Chipknip. Chipknip, yep, yeah, that's that's no more, because when I first got here in 2008, they had that as this little thing, and you're like, you can put money on there. That's like, yeah. you kind of like ring fence it on there, and then you could, I was a student, and then you could pay for stuff like copies at the university, or like something in a vending machine, or like yeah. train ticket. It was a... I think they were like, oh, yeah, it's a security thing, you know, then. But I, I was a theology student back then. I wasn't in the payments or finance. So that was a completely different uh, a lifetime ago. So I guess it's not that special then. Um, <laughs> but what many people don't know either, except if you're really deep in the industry, is that it was Belgium used to be a foundation for much innovation. I think these days, Netherlands is more advanced than, than, than Belgium. But in the past, I mean... This is the basis for Swift, for example. Headquarters of Swift still in Brussels. Euroclear, we had in 1977 our first uh, card scheme. So things like that do prove that Belgium was pretty well advanced when it comes to payments. And we still try to promote that history uh, today. So. Oh, good. Switching lanes a little bit. So next week you have one of your banking scene events here in Amsterdam at the iFilm Museum. Can you just tell us about like what we can expect next week and give us a little preview? Well, our flagship conference, that's on May 16. I only have one flagship. I have two boutique conferences. This is one of the boutique conferences. So it's a half day event. Uh, we start at noon and we go until the networking in the evening. And like we did in Luxembourg on January 31st, and like we will do on May 16, we'll have discussions about the theme, a new ethos in banking. Questioning as a banking industry. So it goes beyond payments. Arguing whether we need a new ethos in banking. And if we do that, if we do need it, how should that look like? Really discussing the ethical dilemmas of the industry, I think with 
the recent collapse of Silicon Valley Bank, it's more topical than ever in a way. We're going to talk about things like data and ethics. How do you deal with that? How far can you go given the opportunities that it brings? We're going to have a look, investigate the moment banks become invisible through, for example, embedded finance, bank as a service, etc. How can they still fulfill their commitments and their promises, their identity as well, the moment that third parties start selling the services? And then we have a discussion also on the super apps and the discussion whether banks should go for bundling or unbundling, etc. You may have seen that in Renaissance banking as well. It's a bit the same talk, but longer. <laughs> so we give the speaker more opportunity to dig deeper in the topic. And then, oh, we also have a very interesting session with Nathalie Hasenberg, who wrote this book together with Klaas Arians of ABN AMRO. She is an HR innovation strategist at ABN AMRO. And with her, we're going to talk about a change in leadership that banks need to grow to that new ethos in banking. And then we close with a final debate. And that's a debate we had in Luxembourg and we'll have again in Brussels on the road to new ethos in banking. And for that session, we have a couple of very interesting speakers, again, from ABN AMRO, PayPal, as well as ING. Very diverse. Um, the lady from ABN AMRO, she works on all kinds of ethical dilemmas in the compliance department. PayPal, he's responsible for financial services international, I think, across the globe, except United States. And then finally, we have uh, Leon Wannans, who is head of sustainability at ING. So very diverse panel with them. We're going to discuss a couple of dilemmas like does banking by nature create inequality? How can we overcome that? What does it mean? What does the the, the whole uh, green agenda mean in the management of a bank? Because as banks suddenly need to start thinking ahead to 2030, 2050, strategic thinking gets on a much longer track. What does that mean in the day-to-day -day work? Things like that are some of the discussions that we, we will be having. I think it's going to be very inspirational. It's going to be topics that you don't see at the regular events. And we'll do that at the exclusive setting of iFilm Museum. We hopefully, looks like we're going to get to more than 120 people for this second edition in Amsterdam. So it looks very promising. And that's the, uh, the last boutique conference before our flagship event in Brussels, where we expect 400 people. Oh, that's really great. For uh, a little bit of clarification, so you uh, picked up a book, it was Momentum. It's only available in Dutch so far. So it's called Van Heldenreis naar Helendenreis Verduurzame Organisatieontwikkeling. It talks about self-organization and also a way how Klaas Arians Develop that within the sales department of ABN AMRO, giving all the employees, also the ones, the advisors, etc., a lot more ownership in their day-to-day -day job, and that way uh, creating a lot more initiative and in a way also consumer-oriented innovation, not from the innovation department, but from the client advisors. Okay, no, because that, that's also interesting because we talk about these like sort of these like these big high level things like sort of like yep. from on the outside of banks like consumers and data and innovation on that side but there's actually a lot of innovation going on on the inside to make people inside banks be able to better serve clients and better come up with solutions to these dilemmas and work more in sort of like you know functional groups instead of having everything in silos that's also a big part of the digitalization of 
uh, banking. I guess it's not as sexy as the consumer stuff, I guess, because it's less of a story, but it really does make a difference in service provision, how like how end-to-end sort of digitized you are within a bank. Access data and use it uh, as well. You'll be taking on some of these things at your at the banking scene next week, which I will be attending. Exactly. I'm really excited that you will be there for the first time, I think. It is, it is the first time, but I think it's cool that you're taking on these sort of the, the bigger issues, like you said, like inequality, how to, like, what's banks' place in sort of promoting these things? Do they just like, make that the wealth gap's bigger or can they close them? These things, like, they're, it's kind of bold and kind of also risky, I think. These are the, I think, the things that actually matter for like the future sustainability of the whole system. Yeah, and there's, it's, it's not a black or white story, of course. Um, I, I, I did a poll last week. Does banking create inequality by nature? Richer people get better fees, poor people get less opportunities, etc. And then you see that the answers are very, very diverse. It all depends how you look at it, but it doesn't mean that banks simply need to hide themselves from discussion. Right. And that needs to be clear. And then some banks will do that a lot more transparent and a lot clearer than others will. And that will also determine in a way the identity of a bank and how far they want to go um, favoring society rather than themselves and their shareholders. Right. That's very important. I mean, we're, we're right in the, the, the beginning of the Silicon Valley Bank unraveling. So it's a very, that's sort of, I mean, especially after the crisis in 08, I think banks took a big hit. Well, that this is a different issue, but it's still like, this is something that I guess most people will, will look at the Silicon Valley thing and be like, oh, look at that. The FDIC, they're going to, they're going to make the depositors whole, you know, above the 250K. And then they, they look at this and saying, hmm, but there's a lot of other inequality problems. There's lots of student loan debt in the US. So what about forgiveness on that side? In terms of, sort, I guess, our approach to financial services and these things like inequality, why do we show kind of grace for one group and not the other? Sort of things just kind of restate these bigger top line concerns about, you know, what are we doing in society? Because money's important. Uh, everyone needs it. So how do banks and financial services actually contribute to doing good? Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see some of the discussions around that at your event next week. Cool. I look forward to welcoming you there. So is there anything else you would like to inform the listeners about your event next week before we go? Well, it is very short notes, of course, but I'm pretty proud that we have like about, I think, nine different banks on stage on a half day event. So that's already quite something. And it shows that the content is very much bank oriented. And that's very important to me. Uh, it's a banking scene. And I really want to make it and drive that around content for banks and make it appealing for banks and third parties can of course join as well and for them it will be more of a masterclass in banking rather than hearing the same rehearsals as at every other event where they just want to try to make sales so the banking scene should be that little extra compared to other events and then I'm convinced that we're going to make that happen next week oh I'm sure you will so thanks Rick thanks for joining us and I'll see you next week and you know, it'll be good to have you back on sometime when you're not too busy with FinTech Uncut. That would be great. Thank you very much. Thank you for inviting me. Until next time. You've just been listening to PayTech Talk, the podcast about payments. Today's guest was Rick Kukulbears, founder and managing director at the banking scene. PayTech Talk is brought to you by Cognito Amsterdam. Thanks for listening.